Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of February 12th through the 14th, 2021. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Happy New Year to everyone, and on top of that, happy Valentine's Day, if you celebrate that. And if you have the day off, happy President's Day as well. Uh, No matter what it is you celebrated, I hope your weekend went well. I know mine did. Um, I know that the box office industry, at least over in China, definitely has reason to celebrate. Uh, So much so that we're actually going to be spending the majority of the episode focusing not on the domestic box office, though there are some interesting things happening there, but rather on the Lunar New Year box office over in China. So for context, Lunar New Year is one of, if not the biggest holidays in China, uh, and much of Asia, frankly, uh, especially for the box office industry. Many businesses and companies give their employees an entire week off, uh, which is used to travel back to spend time with their families. And as is in the case here in the States during Christmas time, uh, when you have a lot of people at home without much to do uh, and a lot of places closed, you go out to watch some movies. This has kind of led to a virtuous, self-enforcing cycle where larger and larger films are pushed out each year around this time, uh, particularly sequels of popular films that everyone is going to want to see. Uh, In 2019, on the first day of the Lunar New Year, the entire box office industry made $212 million. That's a single day, not the week or the weekend. And unfortunately, while individual daily numbers are not quite as widely reported or archived online for Chinese box office as much as it is here in the domestic box office, from what I can find between the Tuesday holiday kickoff through the Sunday afterwards, the three biggest earners were sci-fi action film The Wandering Earth with $298 million, sci-fi comedy Crazy Alien with $214 million, and sports comedy Pegasus with $154 million U.S. dollars. Uh, these would go on to make six. million, 326 million, and 255 million, respectively, that year, as the second, sixth, and seventh highest grossing films in China that year, with the wandering earth outgrossing Avengers Endgame. Uh, In prior years, we've had 2018's Operation Red Sea, Detective Chinatown 2, and Monster Hunt 2 getting first, second, and sixth at the Chinese box office for the Lunar New Year, respectively. And in 2017, we had Kung Fu Yoga and Journey to the West getting fourth and fifth. And in 2016, The Mermaid, The Monkey King 2, and From Vegas to Macau 3 got first, fifth, and sixth, respectively. Uh, Some numbers estimate that uh, Lunar New Year holiday represents as much as 10% of total Chinese box office for the year, with upper estimates bounding into the 15-17% to range. And since it's the largest single weekend of one of, if not the biggest box office markets in the world, it's likely, frankly, that this is the largest box office weekend globally of the entire year. Uh, in fact, last year, um, you know, Lun- the fact that the Lunar New Year box office performance or the lack thereof uh, was so notable is really what cued me in uh, even before COVID had come to the States that coronavirus was going to be a big deal. Um, it was around also the event. It was also the event that got me to stop posting my box office analysis on my Facebook timeline and actually start a podcast about it. Uh, with COVID virus spreading across the country at the time, all ten thousand theaters were shut down and no movies registered over a million dollars at the box office at the time. Which, given that you know just the year prior it was making you know two hundred twelve million dollars in a single day, uh, is pretty stark. Um, so you know that, that where does that leave us with 2021's Lunar Box Lunar's New York box office if last year was pretty much nothing? Well, despite some capacity limits in certain regions of 50%, with the box office more or less recovered to pre-pandemic levels, in a word, 
spectacular. Uh, I think the best way to frame the discussion on how just how crazy this box office weekend has been for the Chinese box office is to talk about one film in specific, Detective Chinatown 3, over the path it's taken this weekend and then go from there. So Detective Chinatown 3 is, of course, the sequel to Detective Chinatown 2, which we mentioned earlier as being the second highest grossing film of 2018 in China that also released on Lunar New Year. Specifically, it opened as this year uh, on a Friday to $155 million in second place for the weekend, and then through the second weekend, it ended up getting to $417 million total before ending at $513 million lifetime. So definitely the lion's share of its gross made in this first week. Uh, Detective Chinatown 3 was, in fact, actually scheduled to release last Lunar New Year before the aforementioned pandemic-related shutdowns, pushing it back to this year. So there's definitely a lot of pent-up demand. Now, before we even had its release, just about a week ago, there were approximately 75 million US dollars worth of pre-sales for the film for opening day, the most of any film this, this weekend. And then last Thursday, before you know the uh, as of eleven thirty p.m. before uh, the film released, um, the number had ballooned to one hundred and twenty million U.S. dollars for opening day pre-sales. So even before pre-sales alone, even with pre-sales alone, that number was enough to actually dethrone Avengers Endgame one day total in China at one hundred and seven point eight million U.S. dollars. However, the final number between the pre-sales and whatever walk-on tickets were sold went blue way past that. Detective Chinatown 3, on February 12th, 2021, in China, made 163 million US dollars. Again, 163 million US dollars. For comparison, not only did it beat Avengers' one-day total in China at 107 million, it broke the one-day total for any film ever in a single market period. Avengers Endgame, combining the Thursday previews with Friday numbers, grossed $157 million opening day in North America, and Detective Chinatown blew past past that with uh, about $6 million to spare. But it didn't stop there. By the end of the weekend, it had grossed $398 million US dollars. In comparison, that's more than twice the opening weekend of Detective Chinatown 2, and as far as comparing to Avengers Endgame, Endgame opened midweek on a Wednesday in China, two days earlier than here in the West. And by the end of the weekend, over five days, it had grossed $328 million, $70 million short of where Detective Chinatown uh, ended up. And then compared to America, uh, over the three-day weekend here in the States when Avengers came out, Avengers made $357 million, again, sort of the $398 million that Detective Chinatown 3 has made this past weekend in China. So Detective Chinatown 3 is now the largest opening weekend ever in history in a single market. Uh, Maoyan estimates that the lifetime gross will be somewhere around $750 million US dollars for Detective Chinatown 3, not going to end up being the highest grossing film of all time, uh, but still, definitely uh, definitely quite a testament to, to break this record. Now, of course, the, the reason is because, you know, partly that there's going to be competition, you know, I, frankly, there wasn't anyone going to try to compete with Avengers Endgame, uh, but, you know, Chinatown 3 has some competition, actually, even this weekend. Now, it's not the only film to open. Total box office for the weekend sits at about 700 million US dollars worldwide, which... I don't even know of another market that's had 700 million. I think this is actually the record for the largest weekend box office take in a single country for the total box office. Um, you know, 
this is about one third of the entire U.S. box office for 20, the entirety of 2020, and about 6% of the total global box office from last year in a single three-day weekend. And on the Friday, when Titan Town popped off, total box office for that day sat at $260 million. So coming in number two this weekend is the film Hi Mom, a time travel film that grossed $161 million U.S. dollars this weekend. However, there are rumblings that this will actually outperform the Chinatown this holiday week and potentially hit the 800 million plus mark for its total gross lifetime. lifetime. Uh, from Friday to Saturday to Sunday, the Chinatown 3 dropped 19% and then 9% respectively, while Hi Mom actually gained 4% and then 50%. So while the final numbers for Monday aren't out yet on official sources, it looks like according to Twitter that Monday box office numbers for China have the two swapped with Hi Mom taking first place at $80 million on Monday uh, and Detective Chinatown 3 making only $65 million. Both are expected to break Endgame's 7-day seven day total of $388 million and a 10-day total of $549 million. And, it's, and again, it's very likely that Thai Mom will make $800 million according to Maoyan and could very well be the highest grossing film of this year. This somewhat makes sense uh, given that Detective Chinatown 3 would be more front-loaded as opposed to the surprise sleeper hit with very strong word of mouth. Now, in third place, we have uh, Riders Odyssey, which made $48 million U.S. million. And in fourth place, we had children's animated film Boonie Bears the Wildlife, making $38 million. Uh, in fifth place, we have Ying Yang Master, making $25 million. In sixth place is the third animated Neza film New Gods, making $21 million. And then rounding out the new films uh, for, the Chinese, for the Lunar New Year is Andy Lau's Endgame, no relation to the Avengers, making $12 million U.S. million. So what does this all mean? Well, on a, macro, on a micro level, we'll report back next week to see exactly what the week-long totals of Detective Chinatown 3 and Hi Mom pan out to be, with hopefully a better idea of where their lifetime totals will likely end up at. But on a more macro scale, I think this just reinforces the point that we've been making over and over, that China is, at least at the very least until the U.S. gets the pandemic under control via vaccine, going to remain the largest box office market in the world, and more importantly, you know, potentially even after that. Um, and... That's supported not off of Hollywood films, which aren't really releasing right now, um, but it, but really off of the thriving domestic film industry that doesn't need Hollywood films to provide the content their citizens clearly have a hunger for. What that means for U.S.-based productions and once once they start releasing films again and how they strategize whatever slates of films, like do they try to break into the Chinese market if there's already strong competition from domestic films or do they just kind of let it be alone? We'll see where, where that ends up. Um, at the very least, you know, again, I wouldn't be surprised to see if Hi Mom and Detective Chinatown 3 end up being at the top of the of the top 10 global grossing films of this year, especially if the the recovery of movie theaters uh, doesn't quite get to where pre-pandemic levels in the States just yet. Um, in any case, let's turn to some other industry-related news before closing out uh, with our much less impressive domestic box office numbers. Uh, first up, we have a number of new release dates. Uh, the biggest one is, of course, Legendary's Dune. Uh, as we noted in the past, there were tensions between Legendary and Warner over the latter's decision to drop Godzilla Recon and Dune onto streaming service HBO Max without warning for a day-and-date release on streaming and theatrical. Uh, in the last month, uh, they've come to terms with Godzilla v. Kong moving up to their tentpole March release, but rumors still persisted that Legendary was going to push for a theatrical-only release of Dune. 
uh, on top of War- you know, which on top of Warner Brothers using Dune footage to promote HBO Max as a platform for the trailers, uh, led to future trailers not including Dune footage. And then James Bond happened. Uh, James Bond moved No Time to Die moved to uh, a w- just a week after Dune's planned October first release. So it seemed that helped push the characters in Warner's favor. Naturally, Dune wouldn't really be able to compete against No Time to Die. Uh, so pushing for a theatrical only release really didn't make much sense in that regard, um, since the the box office potential is kind of capped. They may move it up like a week uh, earlier, but. I don't know if that's going to actually pan out. Um, so really, this box office change isn't much of a change. It's actually kind of confirming it's staying there. Um, you know, we've seen and new trailers from HBO Max that they are including Dune tra- Dune footage again. So it looks like they've come to some sort of agreement. Uh, we are also getting a release date announcement for foreign international markets that Dune will be releasing sometime mid-November, around the fifteenth or sixteenth or so, uh, two weeks prior to the October first domestic release, which is still slated to be. International, uh, theatrical and HBO Max. Um, now, this two-week window is a little bit longer than the Wonder Woman 1984 release window um, for international, as well as the uh, um, Godzilla v Kong international window we're getting. So um, it looks like you know Dennis Villanueva may be getting a, a, a theatrical first release, if only on the international scale. Um, let's see. Now, one year ago, Sonic the Hedgehog was released. Uh, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but it's only fitting that this past week we got confirmation for the new release date of Sonic the Hedgehog 2 featuring Tails. Uh, April 8th, 2022. Pretty fast, but, you know, uh, that seems pretty par for the course with Sonic. Uh, let's see, Lionsgate's sci-fi film Voyagers, which has been described as Lord of the Flies in Space, is coming out April 9th this year, uh, previously unset after being pushed off of a November 25th, 2020 release date. And then, for some reason, despite a major push to promote their own streaming service, Paramount Plus, via a bunch of Super Bowl ads, uh, Paramount has sold their next My Little Pony film to Netflix. It was originally scheduled to release September 24th of this year, with no new release date inside from Netflix. I suspect this is probably related to them probably having a deal with Hasbro to release the film globally, uh, which Paramount Plus is not equipped to do so quite yet. Uh, speaking of streaming services limited to U.S. only, uh, Zack Snyder's cut of the Justice League is already known to be coming out on March 18th this year, just over a month away. But I do have to just mention that they re- did release the latest trailer, uh, and they just actually put the "We Live in Society" from the Joker. Uh, I'm all here for that. Uh, still not probably going to watch it. It's four hours long, which is kind of nuts. But hey, uh, th- this is kind of ramping up uh, for HBO Max. Uh, now, turning to Disney, there's still no movement on whether or not Black Widow will be moving uh, to Disney Plus or be pushed back further or whether it's just going to hold its May 7th release date. Current signs say it's planning on holding, but again, uh, that may change. Uh, Kevin Feige is apparently opposed to a hybrid rollout, um, as with Ryan the Last Dragon next month, and you know he's definitely one of the top dogs uh, in Disney. Um, they have about three to four weeks leeway to figure it out. Uh, Bob Chapek, CEO, has stated it's still theatrical, but you know that he stressed that flexibility uh, is important and that they'd be watching the situation very, very closely. I suspect that this, you know, uh, tendency to like not make any big moves yet is related to them wanting to see how well Ryan the Last Dragon does in their hybrid premiere access release, um, as well as consumer sentiment and the- theatrical reopening plans. Uh, they did note that Mulan premiere access release was successful to the extent that they're using it for Raya, which doesn't bode well uh, over their overwhelming confidence in the model. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see if they get another data point that pushes it to them. If they do delay it, I think they only have one more shot at doing it since if 
since they could potentially push Sang Chi uh, back to Lunar New Year next year, a full year, which could potentially tie in with you know the 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 Asian uh, main character, um, while keeping Eternals in the awards November slot. Um, that said, if they have to push past no- July, I don't think it's going to work for Black Widow. Um, but yeah, I think we'll just have to wait to see. Um, in related news, though, they actually have started, restarted filming the new Doctor Strange film in London after shutting down due to COVID concerns. Uh, the other big Disney film news is that they are actually shuttering Blue Sky Studios. Uh, kind of makes sense that they would uh, they would since they had two other animation studios. Uh, Disney Animated Studios and Pixar. Uh, Blue Sky is, of course, most well known for the Ice Age franchise, with the new Ice Age Disney Plus television series being their last production. Uh, they also worked on Robots, Rio, The Peanuts Movie, Ferdinand, and Spies in Disguise. Uh, they were working on an animated film, Nimona, based on a popular fantasy webcomic by Noel Stevenson to be directed by Patrick Osborne that was about 75% complete, but now will not be released. Um, it was scheduled for January 14th, 2022 state. Uh, some other corporate Disney insider baseball, Ron Moore has left Sony Pictures uh, Television, where he produced Outlander and For All Mankind, and has now joined the Disney's 20th Century Television, working first on the Swiss Family Robinson series for Disney+. Uh, meanwhile, Frank Patterson, VP of Theatrical Distribution, has left Disney after 17 years there. No word where he ended up, but he was a big part of the release strategy for Endgame and the recent Star Wars trilogy, so best of luck to him. Uh, looking at some Disney Plus news, it looks like the number of paid subscribers has jumped to 94.9 million users through January 2nd, 2021. This means within a month of the last numbers we had, 86.8 million as of December 2nd, which is an increase of about 8 million users. Uh, this was before the major Disney press day announcing all the new goodies coming in the next few years and before WandaVision currently airing as well as Falcon Winter Soldier coming soon. Uh, this was likely driven by that Mandalorian Season 2 ending and Pixar's Soul uh, free offering as well as you know, the start of Latin America launch. Uh, one TV analyst uh, expects Disney to surpass Netflix in total number of subscribers by 2026, 294 million to 286 million, though most of that will be driven by India and their Hotstar connection. Uh, meanwhile, HBO Max announced their plans to go international with HBO Max uh, and release it to 30 t- territories in Latin America starting June of 2021. Given the success of being able to get users to sign up to see you know, all the films after last December's announcement, uh, it seems that their bet to move their film slate to the streaming is paying off. Uh, Canadian exhibitor Cineplex reported their Q4 numbers were down 96% year-over-year, with annual numbers down 81%, no surprise given the pandemic. They were particularly rocked since they had been in agreement to be acquired by UK-based Cineworld in December 2019 that fell through uh, in June last year. Makes sense given the pandemic. Uh, That is now heading to court and legal proceedings in September of this year. Uh, They were also participants in Universal Sword and Windows deal alongside AMC and Cinemark. Uh, In the meantime, they've been prepping for a recovered market by doing upgrades on their current theatrical locations. And then finally, before we get to domestic box office, uh, Sundance announced that they had a 2.7 times larger attendance than normal, given it was a virtual event this year uh, with over 600,000 attendees. No big surprise, but still nice to see that the indie film festivals are doing well in an otherwise difficult situation. 
Now on to the best top five. Remember, these numbers are mostly for the three-day Friday through Sunday totals, uh, even though it may be considered a four-day weekend when you consider the inconsistent President's Day holiday. Some places have off, some places don't, so yeah. Um, things were actually super tight and exciting for the top three films, uh, you know, all being around $2 million. Um, according to TheNumbers.com, Judas and the Black Messiah, which debuted this weekend on HBO Max and theatrically, The Little Things, another HBO Max hybrid release from a few weeks back, and Thanksgiving Holdover Crudes 2 all sit at just over $2 million US dollars. According to Deadline, estimates say that if you include the four-day totals, uh, Crudes 2 actually comes out on top with $2.6 million and the two HBO Max films making $2.4 million each. Uh, Crudes 2 being at the top of the box office again in its 12th week is pretty nuts. I can't think of another time a film became number one in its 12th week. Um... Though anything's possible with these market conditions. Um, you know, over the three-day weekend, it gained 21% week over week um, after a week Super Bowl weekend. Um, in 1890 theaters from a per theater average of 1079, its domestic total to date is 483 million, and worldwide it has crossed the 150 million dollar mark, uh, sitting at 151.4 million dollars. Uh, in second place, uh, or tied for second place, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, again, over the three-day, made it uh, $2 million, uh, and about 2.4 over the four-day. Um, that made 1888 theaters in its first weekend of a per theater average of 1096 over the three-day. No international numbers for it just yet. Um, that said, it does have Oscar potential in a number of categories, uh, particularly supporting actors, so that might be, be one to keep out an eye out on uh, as the critical praise and awards hopefully start run, run coming in. Uh, tied for second place, we have The Little Things, made $2 million in its third day, three-day weekend, $2.4 in its four-day, 2090 theaters for a per-theater average over the three-day of $978. Uh, in its third week, a 3% drop versus last week. Domestic total sits at $10.6 million and worldwide sits at $17 million. Tied for fourth place, recovering somewhat from last week's sub-million performance, uh, Wonder Woman 1984 grows to $1.1 million in 1681 theaters, a 26% increase for per theater average of 678 uh, in week 8. Its domestic total sits at $41.8 million, and its worldwide total sits at $157 million. And rounding out the top five, we have The Marksman, gaining a 15% from last week to make $1.1 million in 1825 theaters for a per theater average of $603 in week five. Uh, also worth noting, there is a new film, Land, from Focus Features, which was acquired from Sundance, actually. Uh, this is directed by Robin Wright in her directorial debut. Um, again, premiered at Sundance just last month, and then a couple of weeks later, it now has had its broader release uh, to open in sixth place, $940,000 in 1231 theaters, per theater average of 764. Overall, the three-day domestic box office sits at $11.3 million, up from last week's depressed Super Bowl weekend of $7.7 million. Um, a year ago, as I noted earlier, this was the top, the top film was selling The Hedgehog, making $58 million on top of $156 million total box office. Uh, for next week's box office, the biggest release in my eyes is Nomadland from Searchlight. Uh, it had debuted on the 29th in IMAX, but only, no numbers from that yet, but it will be more broadly available both in theaters and on Hulu, um, and it's an awards favorite at the moment. Uh, again, check out my Oscars Death Race podcast if you want a more awards show talk. Uh, we also have a Lionsgate film about the dark web marketplace Silk Road, titled Silk Road. Um, now, I also talked about China at the top of the show, but worth mentioning some other international numbers. Seoul cost $100 million worldwide, 
specifically to $104 million in only 15 markets. Uh, in comparison, Wonder Woman 84 made 43 markets to make uh, $115 million worldwide. Um, it has also topped the Korean box office again, gaining 20% over last week, with Demon Slayer coming in second in Korea. Uh, we're also seeing the rollout of Warner Brothers' Tom and Jerry film in seven markets ahead of their HBO Max release in a few weeks. Uh, finally, to wrap up the show on one random story uh, I came across on the BEC, uh, in their perpetual quest to make more money in these hard times, uh, cinemas are now renting themselves out uh, to play screens to play games on the big screen uh, with rates in Korea at about $90 for four people in two hours before 6 p.m. and 135 in the evenings. Uh, it's BYO consoles, games, and controllers. Uh, U.S.-based exhibitor Malco Theaters is doing the same thing with 20 people per screen in one of its 36 theaters uh, across the South in about $50 per hour, minimum of two hours. Uh, there's definitely some sort of GameStop, AMC, Wall Street bets joke in here somewhere. But in any case, uh, with that, I think that's a wrap for this episode. Uh, suit me ideas for what I should cover next week uh, via email. It should be my 50th episode uh, at boxofficewatchpodcast at zml.com. Uh, or reach us on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Links to our listings are on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Um, they're all in our show notes. Leave a review there uh, on your podcast service of choice or on podcast.com or just tell a friend about the soap. It's all super helpful. Uh, numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com or intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at thecompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. <laughs>